Hi, good morning. I'm Paul here. I'm one of the elders here in Carmody, and I'm just going to read God's Word this morning. It's found in um, John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. So let's um, just uh, listen to what God has to say for us this morning. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given in me, given me to be with where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And may God bless this reading to our hearts. Just want to pray for Stuart now as he comes up, um, just to, to bring his word. So maybe uh, just very briefly pray for you before you come. Let's pray. Father, fall upon your servant Stuart here this morning. May your words be his words. May your message be his message this morning. Father, open our ears to hear what you have to say for us through your word and through your servant, Stuart. And Father, if you prompt us this morning to respond, Lord, would you give us the courage to come forward for prayer, to chat to someone, to just step, make that small step. So Holy Spirit, come, be upon Stuart. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Paul. If you have a Bible, keep it open at John chapter 17. Going to be using those verses that Paul has read for us and casting our mind back as well um, over the previous verses and what we've been thinking about already in John 17. We're in this three-part um, short kind of mini-series that's helping prepare our hearts for Easter. And I do hope and pray that, that you've been helped, that your heart is being prepared as we get ready for uh, another Easter, as we get ready for Holy Week and all that next weekend will bring as well. So in John chapter 17, we have this incredible prayer of Jesus at the end of those solemn kind of sacred holy moments in that upper room where Jesus spent precious time with his disciples, preparing them for life without his physical presence on earth. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And we've been reminded that there is a prayer life there is a prayer life that matters more than anything else in our lives. And it's not our own prayer life, as important as that is. It's the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus, the one who always lives to make intercession for us. To intercede means to approach one person on behalf of another. It means to, to make a request or a need on behalf of someone, to bring a need on behalf of someone else. And what a privilege it is that we have Jesus who is constantly, perpetually doing this for us before the Father on our behalf. Jesus who carries our needs before the throne of grace. As Tim Shorey, one author, he writes this, he says, Jesus is the only mediator there is 
our faithful advocate before God. And he's the very best prayer alive. The very best prayer alive. Remember, and I think it's really important that we keep this at the forefront of our minds. Let's remember that, that Jesus prays this prayer at this point as he approaches the cross. And so as we enter into this prayer of Jesus, as we enter into these moments in that upper room, those moments leading up to that very first Good Friday, we're asking God to bring us into this prayer of Jesus that we would enter into those holy moments, that our hearts would be, would be prepared once again as we think about what Jesus prays in this moment. If you were here last week, Rick, uh, Rick took us through the middle portion of Jesus' prayer where we see that Jesus prays for the 11, the disciples who were with him. Judas is already gone. The betrayer that he was, he has left the 12. The 12 is now 11. Um, and in those verses in the middle of this prayer, Jesus primarily in the moment prays for them, but we know that, that he's also praying for us as he prays for them. But this morning we're looking at the last part of Jesus' prayer where Jesus prays for all believers. We read that Jesus is praying for those who will believe in me through their message, through the message of the disciples. And isn't it incredible? I was thinking about how incredible it is that in this moment, 2,000 years ago, Jesus' vision goes beyond the moment and his mind goes forward even to this day, to 2023. The mind and the heart of Jesus goes forward through the centuries, through the millennia, and in this moment that we're looking at this morning, Jesus prays for you and he prays for me. He prays for all who would come, all who would believe the message, the good news of Jesus. It's incredible. And I want to say something straight up about this moment. I believe that this, this part, particularly of Jesus' prayer, should move us. I think it should move us emotionally as we think about what Jesus is doing. I think this moment should do something within our hearts in some way that we should be moved by what we hear Jesus praying. Let me explain why I'm saying that, because if we look at what happens in the very next moments, look at chapter 18 if you're following along. Here's what we read happens next. When he finished praying, okay, so immediately following this moment, here's what happens. When he finished praying, I don't know if Jesus said amen. Maybe he did. But he finishes praying in this moment. And here's what happens. Immediately when he finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and he crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. Picture the scene. Just picture it in your mind's eye. Jesus left, he crossed the Kidron Valley and on the other side, there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Can you picture it in your mind's eye? Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. Gets me so angry. Judas knew the secret place. He knew where Jesus took the, the, the disciples. He knew where they were going. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Can you picture it in your mind's eye? Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. 
Can you picture it in your mind's eye? When Judas, when Jesus, sorry, said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. It's a pretty strange reaction, isn't it? The group, a mob who are about to see someone. That's what happens to them in this moment. They fall to the ground. Something happens to them. But then again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. He's trying to protect the 11. The heart of the good shepherd. Trying to protect the 11. What happens next? Jesus is then arrested by force, illegally. He's bound up and he's brought to Caiaphas, the high priest. And I want us to understand the significance of this moment. The last thing that Jesus does before he is bound up, before the utter trauma of what's about to happen, the Son of God, the last thing that Jesus does in that moment is pray for you and pray for me. See, this prayer of Jesus is sometimes referred to as the great high priestly prayer. And in the Old Testament, we know that the high priest was one who made a sacrifice on behalf of the people for the sins of the people. But here we have Jesus, our great high priest, ready to put himself on the altar of sacrifice as the Lamb of God. He is the priest and he is the sacrifice. He is. There isn't another sacrifice. There's no animal coming. He is the sacrifice. There was a, I don't know if you're familiar with this, there was a Michael W. Smith song a number of years ago that we used to sing in my church called Above All. Anyone remember that song? It was just okay. I'm not going to say too much. Above All. Um, and there was a, a lyric in that song that goes, crucified, um, laid behind a stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above all. I always used to think, was he really? Was Jesus really thinking of me above all? As he was trampled on and beaten and mocked and scorned and eventually crucified, was I on his heart? Did he think of me above all else? Was he thinking of us above all else? Is that what was happening in those moments as Jesus went to the cross? Was he really thinking about you? And was he really thinking about me? Well, I think that this part, I believe that this part of Jesus' prayer in John 17 reveals to us that he was thinking of us, that we were on his heart and mind. But more than that, more than just Jesus thinking of you or thinking of me, Jesus was praying for you. He was praying for you and he was praying for me. He was asking the Father for certain things in our lives today. We were on his heart and in his mind and he was praying for us. How does that make you feel? That's what Jesus was doing in these moments. But what was Jesus asking his Father for? What was he asking God for, for you and for me? What was the detail of his prayer? Well, if you were here last week, or you can look back at that online, Rick reminded us and, and highlighted three things that Jesus prayed for the 11 that also relate to us. He was praying for our assurance that we would know with certainty that we belong to God. Jesus was praying for our protection from the enemy, that we would be protected within the family of God. And then Jesus was praying for our growth, that we would grow in him, that we would be that big sort of churchy word sanctified, that we would be made more, that we would be made holy, 
as God is holy. That's what he prayed for in those verses. But from this last part of Jesus' prayer, we can see three more things very specifically for you and for me. And here's the three things. I put it in the form of three short prayers. Unite our hearts, Lord. Reveal your glory, Lord. And grow your church, Lord. Three things Jesus prayed for us. Unity, glory, and growth. Unity, glory, and growth. And it's really important that we consider these three things because it's in this moment, in this crucial moment before he goes to the cross that Jesus prays for these three things, for our unity as his people who would come, his people not even born yet, those down through the centuries, Jesus prays that we would be united, that we would be those who host and, and see the glory of God and that we would grow that there would be a sense of multiplication within his church. So the first one, unite our hearts, Lord. Unite our hearts, Lord. Unity is so important to Jesus. Unity is so important to Jesus. And Jesus knows the human condition. And as Jesus prays in these moments, looking ahead 2,000 years, he understands the pressures that you and I would experience. He knows what we would deal with. He knows the things that are going to tempt us to, to be fractured in our relationships and love for each other. He knows the way that we react to things. He knows our heart. And he prays for our unity. Someone has said this, because the church is under constant attack, we need to be good students in the subject of unity. Because the church is under constant attack, we need to be good students in this subject of unity. Let, let's be honest. Um, the world will bring us enough trouble of its own, won't it? <laughs> Life can be tough enough. There's enough division out there in the world. There's enough trouble out there in the world. There's enough strife and there's enough disagreement in the world. There's enough division within the world that we live in. And for us to be a divided people within the church will only serve to make the rest of our lives much more difficult. Despite all of our vast diversity and difference within the church, and isn't that a beautiful thing? That we're diverse and different. That's a good thing. We encourage that. Lord, make us more diverse and different. That's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. But Jesus' heart is that we would be one, one in spirit, single body of people, arm in arm at the foot of the cross, standing together. But where does this come from? Where does this deep sense of unity come from? Well, as Jesus prays, he reveals that we are inextricably caught up in the oneness of God. The Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are perfectly one united in perfect community and fellowship. And we are one as he is one. That's what Jesus says in this moment. We are one as he is one. This is who God is. God is perfectly one. And this is who we are in him. We're united in heart, united in spirit, united in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who we are. We cannot get away from that. And then in verse 23, look what Jesus says. He says, I and them and you, Father, in me, so that they may be, may be brought to complete unity. Complete unity. That's the heart of Jesus. Complete unity, not partial unity. Not a little bit of unity, but complete unity. That we would be completely united. That is his heart. I wonder, are, are we striving for that? 
this Easter time of year, as we gather at the foot of the cross and as we go again to the empty tomb, I wonder, is our heart for complete unity? I think a good question is, am I at odds with anyone? Am I causing division in any way? Is there any disharmony in a relationship that just isn't sitting well with me as I hear Stuart talk about this? As God, the Holy Spirit speaks to me? Well, I would say don't leave those things to fester. Don't leave those things to fester any longer because that's what happens. Stuff like this festers and when something is left to fester, it goes off. And when something goes off, it smells really bad, doesn't it? The bad smell lingers and causes others to wonder what on earth is going on in there? What is that bad smell? What on earth is going on? So the where of our unity comes from the oneness of the Godhead. But what about the why? Why is our unity so important to Jesus? We'll look at verse 23. Because Jesus says, Then, then when my people are unified, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Earlier in John 13, Jesus said something very similar. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then Jesus says, by this, by your love for one another, everyone will know that you're my disciples. It's our unity and love that speaks loudly to this world that we belong to God. It's our unity and love, the oneness of our spirit, the harmony in our voice, the the oneness that we enjoy when we're together that speaks into this community loudly, that we belong to the Father who is one. It's our oneness and our heart together that's compelling. In a divided world, this is the kingdom of God. In a divided world where people are fracturing apart, when people split into all kinds of different camps and groupings, we are one as the people of God. We carry our differences. I might not agree with you on every single thing that you stand for and believe in, but you know what? We're one. There's nothing that can hold us back from being one. There's nothing that can get in the way of our oneness in the spirit. It's a supernatural work of God and we strive for that. We strive for that because when we are one, the world will see our God. It's what Jesus says. It's not just some good advice I'm trying to bring. It's what Jesus says. When we love one another, the world will see our God. They might look at us and think, there, those people are, I'd like to be among them. They're not bad people. But ultimately, they're going to look and see there's a God who's overarching, overcoming love, binds them together. These people are different. The world will come to know and experience the love of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why our unity is so important. Unite our hearts, Lord. Unite our hearts. This Easter time, may we sense a unity like never before in this church family. Unite our hearts, God. Make us one, God. When we sing, Father, met, lift the roof off this place in the sound of one voice. One voice. Secondly, reveal your glory, Lord. I did preach about this a couple of weeks ago, the glory of God. But here Jesus speaks again about glory. Look at verse 22. Jesus says to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Hold, just pause right there. Listen to that again. 
Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you have given me. I have given them the glory that you, God, have given me. Remember what we said a few weeks ago, the glory of God is somehow upon us in our eternal life. The glory of God is upon us in our eternal life. We're made for glory, eternal glory with the Father. But remember how we said, welcome to eternal life now. Eternal life begins now. You're not waiting to escape this earth and somehow get to eternal life. It begins now. The glory of God is is upon us. It's with us. He's here. Somehow the glory of the Lord God Almighty is upon us as his people. It's his glory, not ours. But it's at work among us. It's visible here. The glory of God. Jesus also prays in verse 24 that we would see his glory. Remember that prayer? Show me your glory, Lord. Jesus prays that we would see his glory. It's part of the privilege of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that we share in the glory of God, that we get glimpses of the glory of God, that we see his glory, that we behold the glory of the one and only Son of God. We behold that when we gather, when we encounter his presence, we encounter the glory of God. One of the greatest privileges of being a follower of Jesus is that we get glimpses of his splendor, of his glory. And so this Easter, as we journey to the cross once again, and as we then celebrate resurrection life, are you looking forward to that next week? At least I am. Honestly, I'm trying so hard (laughs) to work at the response. I mean, I thought we'd be there by now, but we're, we're getting there. Are you looking forward to Easter Sunday? Yes, okay, good. That was good, good. I really am. We're praying, we're praying that we would see and share in the glory of God. We would see that as we gather Resurrection Sunday. Today, every Sunday's Resurrection Sunday, let's be honest. The tomb is empty. He's defeated death and it matters every day not just Easter weekend, but we're praying that next weekend we would see a display of his radiance, that we would experience the manifest presence of the risen Lord Jesus, that we would share in his glory, that we would see his power among us, all around us, that we would know that, that it would be unlike anything else, that next weekend would be better than anything else you do over Easter. Any other whatever activity you do, If you're going to the caravan, this will be better. Just get that out there. (laughs) Maybe you're sitting here thinking, but Stuart, my life is a shambles. How can I share in the glory of God? Maybe you're thinking my life has become so incredibly tough. You've no idea what I'm dealing with. Glory is the last thing on my heart or in my mind. Can I just say something? More than ever, I'm I'm noticing the connection that the Bible makes. Listen really carefully. The connection that the Bible makes between glory, the glory of God, and suffering. The glory of God and human suffering. We've been doing a bereavement journey course and it is blowing me away. 
what I'm sensing and seeing and hearing from God as we gather with those who have lost loved ones. The weight of loss, somehow in the middle of it all, I believe that we're sensing the glory of God, the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, listen to this. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly, this is all of us, outwardly we're wasting away. Sorry to break the news. (laughs) Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Listen to this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us what? An eternal glory that will far outweigh them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes. We fix our eyes beyond the things of this earth. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is unseen is eternal. Every time we gather like this to worship God, we fix our eyes, don't we, on the unseen one who is so present among us. We fix our eyes on him. In our suffering, we fix our eyes on the unseen one, knowing that our suffering is somehow achieving an eternal glory that will far outweigh all of this. What is it that's weighing on you in terms of suffering or or hurt or or struggle or, or bereavement? What is it that's weighing on you? Well, there is a glory that will far outweigh all of that. And somehow, I don't understand all of this, But somehow our suffering is achieving that. It's working towards that glory that will far outweigh the pain of this life. Romans 8, Paul writes again something about this. He says, now if we are children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, why? In order that we may also share in his glory. There it is again. If we share in his sufferings, if we share, if our hearts are heavy in this life, if pain comes upon us somehow in the middle of it all, we're sharing in the glory of God. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Doesn't Easter remind us that God's plan of redemption is born out of suffering? God's plan of redemption is born out of the suffering and the death of his one and only son. That's how God knows our suffering. Easter is this time of year when we die to self again. We recognize the pain and the suffering that's in this world. We go to the cross and we thank Jesus that he has paid the price for all of our sin and all of our shame. We go to the cross and we lay it all at his feet. But Easter also reminds us that on the other side of suffering and death, there is new life. On the other side of all the heartache and pain that we might experience, there is resurrection life. There is new life. And so in Christ and in a a life lived with him, there is always hope. I hope you hear that this morning. There is always newness of life. There is always hope. And whatever we experience in terms of death and suffering and hardship on planet Earth is achieving for us that eternal glory that will far outweigh it all. Easter has all of that. See, this Easter time, you bring it all. You bring it all. You bring it all to the foot of the cross. All that you're dealing with, all that you're struggling with, all of your pain and your loss, all of your shame, all of the concerns that you have for your family, 
you bring it all to Jesus. Don't run away from it. You bring it to him. You bring it right into that place of, of death, to the cross. You ask God to take things from you and we ask and we pray that God would fill us with new life. That on the other side is always, always new life. Always new life. Always fresh hope. Always the hope of glory in and through Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Reveal your glory, Lord. And then finally, grow your church, Lord. Do you know what? We're not settling here in Carmony. Just going, settling for whatever God. We're, we want God to, to multiply us. Not us, the kingdom. We want to see the kingdom come. And in this prayer, Jesus prays. He prays this sense of people knowing. People coming into the kingdom through us. Through the people of God. That the world would know who God is through you and through me. There's a sense of growth in the prayer of Jesus. There's a sense of multiplication. He's looking ahead and he's thinking, Lord God, multiply my people. Let them speak of you. Let them show the world who you are. Let their unity speak volumes. Let their love show them the love of God. And, and, and Lord God Almighty, increase their number. Let them grow. Let them grow. Bring people into your kingdom through my people. Work among them, Lord. Grow your church. That's our prayer. Invite one. Invite one. It's a little initiative we have. If you're new with us, we're encouraging everyone to invite somebody to something. In church, Easter's a great time to do that. I'm going to say, don't just invite one. Invite two, three, four, five. Some of you are really social people. You've loads of friends, way more than I could ever hope to have. Invite them. Invite someone. Let them see what God's doing among us. We want people to come in through these doors and find life in Jesus' name. But we also want people out there in our community, in your street, in your workplace, in your gym, on your sports team, the places and the people that you're among. We want them to come in contact with you. And when they come in contact with you, they come in contact with Jesus. They encounter the presence of God through you and through me. And so Jesus prays here that the world would believe, that the world would believe that the Father has so loved them that he sent his only son for them. That's what we pray this Easter. Let this world, Lord, believe that you have so loved this world, so loved them that you have given them your only son. But crucial to it all is our love for one another. That will display the love of God. That will display the glory of God among us. And so just as we close, let me invite our worship team. I'm going to respond in song. I'm Oz Guinness in a book called Dining with the Devil. I haven't read the whole book, but what a title. It's encouraging me to read that. He says this. He says, if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and hence the source and goal of its entire life. True growth is only possible in obedience to him. Conversely, if the church becomes detached from Jesus and his word, it cannot grow, however active and successful it may seem to be. And so church family, we're praying that we would step into 
and step forward in obedience to all that Jesus has for us, to what we're hearing from his word. As we step into the prayer of Jesus in John 17, we're praying, Lord, Lord, we want to obey what we're hearing here. We want to step into this. We want what you want. We want, Jesus, what you want for us. That's what we want. Make us obedient to you. And just before we sing, I heard this story about, why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing. Let's stand together. I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm in one of these moments. I could preach all morning here. You need to <laughs> just scale it back here. We have a new members, a newcomers lunch to go to. But let's just, let's just seize this moment, okay? Let's, it's only 10 past 12, we're fine. I read, I read a story, I read about a story from during the Reformation. Um, whenever things weren't going so well, this countercultural move of God that was happening um, during the Reformation, and Philip Melanchthon, who was a younger colleague of, of Luther, things were not going well, and they were struggling, and young Melanchthon apparently walked past um, a room where the door was opened, there was a crack in the door and it was open slightly and he could hear the children praying. He could hear the children praying for what God was doing. And he, apparently he went out to all of the other kind of folk involved in, in, in the Reformation at that moment who were gathered in another room and he went out um, and, and he, he said to them in a moment of great encouragement, he said, take heart, the children are praying. The children are praying. Well, I want to say to us this morning, whatever it is that you're dealing with, take heart. The Son of God is praying. Whatever you're here with, whatever you're carrying, whatever suffering you might be walking through, whatever joy you're experiencing, the Son of God is praying for you. He lives to intercede for you and for me. So bring it all to him. The son is praying. Jesus is praying right now. Right now, Jesus is praying for you and for me. So Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. And as we respond in song, the words, that lyric that says, even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is always another side. There is always the other side of suffering. And it's an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. And so we pray, as we bow before you, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, take the word of God. Make it come alive in our hearts. And our prayer, Lord Jesus is that you would be glorified. That you would bind us together in complete unity. That you would reveal your glory and that you would grow your church. Come Holy Spirit into these moments. Raise faith in the room. Raise faith in this room, Lord God, we pray. Raise our faith. Faith in who you are. Where there are needs, Lord God, we bring those before you. We bring our hearts before you. And as we sing in response, we pray that you would work 
We sing to you, Lord God. And in that horizontal dynamic, we also sing over each other. And so, Father, raise faith. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your precious name. Amen.